Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, it is episode four of the Blue Note podcast on the Believe Network. As we get ready to discuss all things St. Louis Blues, the one-stop shop for all things Blues, it's episode four, which is the the Boom Boom Gunnerson episode. Yeah, I mean, what what a player he was for the Blues. Not a superstar by any means, but played no. well with Alex Petrangelo. Scored an overtime goal in Game Two of the Stanley Cup Final in 2019. Obviously retired, had some injuries late, but uh, yeah, Carl Gunnerson. Shout out to him. Um, I mean, I think. We need to thank the listeners. Uh, we've had, you know, good numbers, rising numbers over the last few episodes for sure. It's just growing and it's going to continue to grow, I think. Uh, thank you to everybody following us on Twitter. You can follow that at TBN Pod on Twitter. Uh, give us a rating, comment, get involved with the conversation on Twitter, the whole thing on there. Uh, Ethan Carter here with you, Mike Meyer, my co-host as well. Uh, Blues, get it done. They get it done in six games over the Minnesota Wild. And uh, to be honest, I mean, it wasn't really a wild series like I expected it to be. Like I, I wrote in my preview of the series article on the hockeywriters.com, it's like this should be a really tight series. And every single game was decided by, what, two or more goals? Mm-hmm. So, and the Blues just, I mean, I think the Blues showed the difference in special teams. They showed the difference in uh, overall depth. And they showed the difference in just – being there and doing it before in the last three, like they dominated the last three games, like total domination. Yeah. It had all the makings on paper to be the best matchup of the entire first round. I mean, it was set to be a, a a huge, huge heavyweight battle here between the two teams and their depth scoring just did not come to play. Just didn't. I mean, Kaprizov literally did everything for them. Like they scored five power play goals. He had four of them. Uh, Frederick Goudreau is the only one who had another. Fiala was a no-show. Um, the grief line, as they call it, not much grief there. They weren't giving much grief to other teams with Felino, Greenway, and Eric Snack. Now, I would argue that Eric Snack had a pretty good series. If you don't look at the numbers, I think he, he was pretty good. But Felino and Greenway were nowhere to be found. They talked a lot of smack to do absolutely nothing. Um, and the Blues just dominated. Like, I think we saw a big – like, you, I, I think everybody said this, and we're going to touch on it in more, you know, words soon, but Craig Berube just dominated Dean Evason in terms of coaching. Like, it, it was it was embarrassing, honestly. I think – I don't think Minnesota's going to move on from Dean Evason, but I think they'd have a pretty good argument, too, with how badly he got outcoached in the series. He made – zero adjustments to his lineup until their backs were completely against the wall on the road in game six. He, I think, honestly, I think you stick with flurry in game six if you're the wild, but I also think you start Talbot at the beginning of the series because he earned it. Like he did nothing to lose his job when they traded for flurry. And I know that his numbers against the blues were bad and they were not, I mean, the first goal that he let in with Letty in game six was bad, but I mean, he also had a, a beat, beaten down team playing poorly in front of him. So I'm not going to blame him for that. But yeah, Dean Evison was bad in this series. And uh, if I'm a Wild fan, I am very annoyed at him. But uh, you got some key stats to go over here. So go yeah. ahead. 
Before I get into it, I don't know if you happen to see, I just, I found it really interesting. Um, I occasionally would like to go into Twitter and especially on lopsided games like this, I'll take a look to see the main team that, that we're playing. So, you know, the Minnesota Wild, they just kept saying, you know, oh, here's another goal. Here's another goal against. Going into those comments was almost embarrassing. There were fans of the Wild calling for the organization to trade Kaprizov because he is not a gamer and he doesn't show up when it matters. I'm sorry. This guy was the NHL playoffs round one. He came in what? First, second. He, he was he was amongst like the top three in scores in the entire first round. And you want to trade him? That's it's embarrassing. You know, they they lost due to depth scoring. Plain and simple, depth scoring here itself. You know, the Blues were able to get a combined 924 save percentage here between Huso and Bennington. They averaged 31 shots here on goal per game. The power play and the special teams here, as we outlined here in the very beginning, it was the dominating factor here between the two different teams. The complete difference. 30.8% here on the power play, 83.3% here on the penalty kill, and even just a shave under 52% here on the faceoff dot. Flat out, it was the reason why the Blues won this series. But even just on five-on-five play, like you mentioned, they were not getting any sort of support scoring here from Kevin Fiala, from Matthew Boldy, from Erickson. You know, Erickson did show up here, but they, they just they didn't get any sort of supporting scoring at all. So to tell me or to tell any sort of fan that the Wild deserved and needed to trade somebody like their leading scorer and their top scorer in franchise history in a single season is it's embarrassing. You got to hope that that's like a drunk person or a troll. Um, I think that that would be important to hope for. I mean, that's bad. I feel like if you look at that wild team and I also want to talk about the blues a little bit in this series, um, like Kevin Fiala is gone, right? He's an RFA. He was an absolute no show. He's been, I think he has one goal in 15 playoff games with the wild. Like that's just bad. That's literally exactly what Jason Zucker did there. Cause I think Jason Zucker had like four goals in 30 something playoff games with the wild. And it's just more of the same for Minnesota. So I guess that stinks for them, but I'll take it. I'm just surprised this series wasn't close. Like that was the most surprising thing. It just wasn't close. I know it went six games, but it wasn't that close. And the other thing is I think this series is what I thought or the Tampa Toronto series in terms of how close it was going seven games is what I thought this series would be like a two, one, three, one, or one goal um, game in game seven. And it wasn't like the blues just took over, Uh, you know, like you wrote here, they were better in the power play, better in the penalty kill. It just, it was, I mean, team experience mattered and that showed, uh, showed up a lot in this series. Absolutely. And before we get called out here by, by anybody here, I just want to point out, So Kevin Fiala has played 17 career playoff games here for the wild scoring four goals, five assists, but a minus 10 in that. And I know plus my, you know, people are going to call out, Oh, plus minus may or may not be the, you know, the best stat. I'm sorry. When you are a minus 10 in the playoffs, that's something that's noteworthy. Yeah. And with, uh, with, I mean, He's got nine career playoff goals in 35 games. He scored five with Nashville. Uh, I think you, you just – if you're Fiala, 
you can't score zero goals in six games and be a minus five. You can't, um, especially when Kaprizov literally put the team on his back. Like their, their forwards let them down. Their D let them down. Spurgeon was not good. Um, I think Dumba's probably a guy that gets traded. Uh, they just weren't good. And the Blues, I mean, the Blues took advantage of that. That's what you have to do. Like the Blues power play, that that first power play goal in game six that O'Reilly scored when they just went prawn down to shin, tic-tac-toe, you saw it coming from a mile away. You knew what they were going to do, still scored on it. Brodeen's just laying on the ice, really nothing he was doing at all from a defensive standpoint. But, uh, yeah, just a really embarrassing effort by the Wild, and I'm surprised that it ended up this way. But clearly things flipped on a dime when the Blues made the goaltending change. And uh, Bennington was good. I don't think that he's – I think they – if Huso is what Huso has been for most of the season – they win the series with him as well uh, because the Blues just scored a lot more goals than them. And, and Bennington made the big saves when he needed to. I think Huso could have done that too, probably. But um, I think we need to give a shout out to Scott Perunovic, who just came in and did his job. Like three assists in three games, it. a power play assist in each game that he played. Uh, did what Tory Krug does pretty much, except I don't think he shoots the puck as much as Krug does, which I guess is fine when you're still scoring despite that. But uh, Perunovic did his job. Uh, like we touched on the last episode, Callie Rosen stepped in and, and was solid after a couple of rough ones. Uh, Bortuzzo came back. Letty came back. Pareko and Falk played a lot of minutes. So hopefully that carries over because they're going to need them a lot more against the Avalanche. And we'll touch on that towards the end of the episode. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to say. But I think another thing we need to touch on is Craig Berube and uh, the job that he did. Pretty good. He... It's extremely impressive. And to even go back here to your point before we um, get too deep here, like into Craig Berube, Callie Rosen, he is a guy that reminds me of Carl Gunnarsson. He does, he's not flashy. He comes in, he does his job. You even sometimes forget he's on the ice and how much that he may have played that game. He just, he does his job and he does it well. And so the Blues may actually find themselves with somebody who could be a potential low cost just good two-way defensive defenseman. You know, he may not be able to hit a whole heck of a lot, but man, he is going to do his job in the defensive zone and do it well. So big, big shout out here to Callie Rosen. And I think the blues may have something underrated here in him. Craig Verby though, he went with the 11, the 11 seven strategy when these defensemen were dropping like flies. Absolutely. You know, it's an unconventional one. Um, the Blues, I just don't think had one the forward depth that they necessarily needed on that fourth line here just as of yet. But they also needed those extra defensemen because what was it three straight games that they lost a defenseman like in the first period? They they needed that extra security on the back end here, no question about it. But an experienced coach. He went to Bennington, who, again, I don't think that Huso necessarily needed to be booted from the series, but it's very smart because the Blues saw a guy who has been there, he's done that, and he succeeded here in the postseason. So they made the switch here to Bennington, made the in-game adjustments, and flat-out outcoached Dean Evison here of the Wild. And it's it's just something that time, experience, it, it's just going to come here with with experience here at this point, because how many times have the Blues run into the LA Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks in the first round and fans said, oh, crap, 
because that was our Mount Everest to get over. And every single time we got booted. So are the wild at that point just yet where they run into somebody like the blues in the first round, or maybe even the wild, or I'm sorry, the avalanche in the first round. And they say, Oh crap, we're going to need to beat these guys before we can even consider making a run for a Stanley cup. So I biggest, biggest of a tip of my cap here to Craig Berube, because he he and his coaching staff just made all the difference here for the series. The weirdest thing I think is that um, Everson and Baruby seem to have like a similar coaching style. Yeah. So oh, for the, sure. the fact that Baruby makes the adjustments and, and Everson like refused to make any real adjustments is very weird. Like how was your one adjustment to take Kulikov out for Goligoski? Like, what is that really going to do? That just seems well, like a, a stupid adjustment. And how many times, okay, so first game one and game two, it's physical. It's chirpy. I mean, these guys are trying to bait each other into penalties left and right. And sometimes it was working. But when the Blues stopped doing that, and I think that's an adjustment that Craig Berube told his guys. Because if you also look, Braden Shin completely changed his style of play. He was an aggressor in those first few games. And then he slowed back where he was physical but not an aggressor. And yeah. so that style changed. So how many times do you then look at your fourth line? If you're Dean Eviston, you, you look at your fourth line and say, guys, it's not working. I need to get somebody like a Nick Bukestad, somebody who's younger, who can really come in here, fly around, maybe be able to put some hits on out. But I need somebody who can also be able to chip the puck in the net and get past Bennington and Huso. Because right now, you guys being extra physical is not working. And the Blues just, again, like they were skating away here from it. I mean, they're almost laughing. So, I mean, how many times can you continue to put that out there on the ice and just expect that it's going to work? You know, and that just that just comes with experience. Yeah, I mean, what the – and this is not a wild podcast, but, man, it's a tough one for Dean Evison to, yes. to have happen. I mean, I was very confused in real time about the fact that he made, like, zero adjustments. It was – right. Very weird. I didn't know how that would work out. Clearly didn't. But uh, all right, let's do round one MVP of the series for the Blues. Go ahead. I have to I have to go with Jordan Bennington. 3-0 record, a 167 goal against average, a 943 safe percentage. He was a part of and if not the biggest pivotal changer in this series for the Blues. You know, but to have a guy to come back to secure his first win in the playoffs. What was it? Since we won the Stanley cup, I think he was 0 and nine. Yep. Yep. To have him be able to come back in. I mean, that, that was a huge thing. And, and Craig Berube, I mean, you got to give it, you know, big gonads to be able to go back here to this guy and say, Hey, you know, we're, we're relying here on you, a guy who's also been shaky here for most of this year and say, we're going here with Jordan Bennington, but Jordan Bennington, I think, with even bigger gonads, it says, you know what, let's go. And turned his, his game face here back on and flipped that switch just like, you know, some of his other teammates here and said, you know what, let's go. We're winning this series. So MVP here of this series for me is Jordan Bennington. Yeah, that was definitely my number two. Um, I'm going to go with Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, I just think he had a great series. Every single game he was out there 
every single, all three zones, uh, both ends, four power play goals, five goals overall, three assists, eight points. He was a plus one. I'm assuming, I think he was a minus three in game two, so whatever. Uh, Played over 20 minutes per game, 57.1% in the face-off circle. Absolutely dominant. And the Blues as a team were 51.8, as we uh, mentioned earlier. And he was five goals on 20 shots. That's a 25% shot percentage. Uh, yeah, he had a great series. And and Ryan O'Reilly is a playoff player. Like, you could ask any Minnesota Wild fan, and they'll understand. Like, this guy, he shows up in the playoffs. And, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. He did that. Yeah. And I'll even say, you know, as my, you know, even just to kind of round out a top three, I would even say that Scott Perunovich deserves an MVP of the whole entire series contention because he was a guy who came in and just ran that number one power play and looked like he had missed a beat. So to come out there against a team like the Minnesota wild in the playoffs, man, the, the blues, I think's got something special here on their hands with Scott Pernovich too. Yeah, no doubt. And then you look at other guys. I mean, Cairo came alive late in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, Perron had a lot of goals. Thomas was looking good. He he didn't get the offensive production I think that we were expecting or needing, but Thomas was looking good. And I think that um, if he just continues with it, if he just keeps up, he's been there. He's done it before. He's won the Stanley Cup. You know, he may or may not have had as big of a hand at that time, again, offensively in the Stanley Cup victory against Boston. But again, he's been there, done that. And so I think that we could see a different Robert Thomas, even in the second round. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Tarasenko was was great, too. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest turning points of this series is Tarasenko's third period in game four. Um, or was that, was that game four or game five? Five. It was five. Yeah, it was five. five. Yeah. I mean, him, the, the ability to score a hat trick there and kind of carry the team – when it was a 2-2 game, they allowed two power play goals to Kaprizov in that game, and uh, they just dominated it after that. Yeah, and the absolutely. series was kind of over at that point. So, uh, all right, let's throw it over now to our first guest of the podcast uh, from thehockeywriters.com. Maria Stark covers the Minnesota Wild extensively, and uh, you soloed for that interview, so we're going to throw it over to yeah. that now. And we will be back after that to talk about the next series. So we want to be able to welcome in the very talented Mariah Stark. Mariah, how are you? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. <laughs> oh, always the end of the weekend here and whatnot. So good weather right now? Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful here. It's We had some pretty severe storms a couple of yeah. days ago. So now that it's actually nice to be outside, it's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a major storm kind of blow through here earlier. And it went from like almost 90 down to about 70 here in a matter of about, oh, I don't know, almost an hour or so. That's so, what we had. Good. And it's usually not that hot. So yeah. we're just like, Okay, it's going to get bad. <laughs> yes, yep, absolutely. Um, so I don't want you to be nervous, but you are actually the very first ever guest on the Blue Note podcast. So Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> history in the making right here. So let's dive in. Let's talk some Minnesota hockey, okay? Yep. Awesome. Okay, so I want to be able to set the stage here. So the Wild have their best season in franchise history. 53-22-7 record, leading soar Kirill Kaprizov, 47 goals and 108 points. 
They hit the Blues here for the first round. I think we kind of knew within about a week or two of the end of the season that this was going to be what was exactly going to happen. Um, and so everybody had a chance to gather up and, and just really digest that this is what was going to happen here. Everyone expected the heavyweight blowout. You know, everyone expected <laughs> seven games. It was going to be tons of overtime. It was going to, you know, and then as we were talking here before the podcast, that really wasn't the case. So now we've had a couple of days to kind of digest this here. What happened in your opinion? Oh boy. <laughs> they, I keep saying, I've written it in my articles too. They just, they, there was like no next level. They couldn't, yeah. other than like, I mean, I know we'll talk about the goaltending later, but I, I don't want to blame the goalies because in my opinion, sure. the what I saw, they made some really good saves. They tried. They did yeah. what they could. Yeah. Literally, the rest of the team just fell apart. There was no – nobody stepped up. Yeah. Kaprizov did, but as you can see, a lot of teams, if they have one player step up, they kind of – Yeah. It doesn't work in the playoffs. It can work right. in the regular season, but right. if no one else steps up, they can't win. And the Blues figured that out, and they took yeah. them down. <laughs> well, and so the Minnesota Wild, I mean, on paper, it seemed like, I mean, these were both teams that had four lines and defensive pairings that were ready to roll that could score at any single point in time. Um, and it's it's so interesting because going in and looking at some of the comments and the replies during game seven of the Minnesota Wilds Twitter, people were calling for the for the organization to trade Kaprizov. And it blows my mind. I didn't see that. No, I'm really yes. glad I didn't see that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. <laughs> no, if anything, Kaprizov is the reason why it wasn't a, a series sweep. Oh, he, yeah, by far. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's it's just, it's amazing to see what happens. And, and the playoffs are just a totally different animal here at this point. And so, you know, we are fortunate enough to be recording this here after especially the events of what happened here last night of, you know, Toronto getting bounced in the first round. And so, I mean, you, you just never know what's going to end up happening here in the oh, playoffs. Yeah. And so that's where every single team just says, just get into the playoffs because it's, it's its own tournament. It's its own beast. You just have to win four games and that, and that's it, you know, and you have to hope <laughs> that the other team isn't the, the first to four here at this point. So um, for the wild, what do you think, needs to change here moving forward and i want to be able to preface that you do such a fantastic job of covering the wild for the hockey riders and i just want our listeners to be able to know that like they can be able to find you there and and just your your wonderful wonderful work here so um so let's let's keep diving in here what what do you think needs to be able to change so I know some people are probably going to hate me for saying this number one we're not trading caprice off he is no. good oh man no because who are we going to get that's better than, I mean, obviously there are some players that are better, but they're not leaving their respective teams. Right. Right. And he, he's such a, from what I've seen, obviously we're not in the locker room, so we don't know. Right. But he seems like a very team centered guy mm -hmm. and he's good for them. Yeah. What needs to change is Fiala and Dumba need to go. Oh yeah. And I'm sorry, I like them both as players. I think they're great. They are just not working with this team and paying that. Fiala is a restricted free agent, not well, right. it'll be in a month or whatever. Right. And the amount of money he's going to want, the Wild can't justify spending that on him. It's like no offense to him, but it's not. 
Yeah. He didn't step up. He had three points in the postseason mm-hmm. when he should have been matching Kaprizov or at least a yeah. point or two behind him. Yeah. And I mean, his line mate Boldy tried. He tried to get that line going, but it just didn't work. And Dumba it hurts to say because he's such a good person mm-hmm. with his diversity work and all of that, but mm-hmm. he's been injured. He hasn't been the same. It's just, and he, I hate to call him out on it, but he had some big mistakes in game six. He did score to try to make up for it, but it just, he needs to move on and find a team that he can fit a little better with. And yeah. Get some better pairings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And talking, you know, Kevin Fiala, I thought was, and I kept saying him in my game day previews here for the blues, they need to keep an eye on him because a guy who scores 33 goals and 85 points in 82 games, you're waiting for a game that he's just going to put the team on his mm-hmm. back down, maybe by a goal or something, you know, late in the second the third period, like we saw Tarasenko just take that game and score the hat trick. I was waiting for that to be a Kevin Fiala kind of period and it just so were we yes yeah and it just never never came here so you know touching here briefly on it you know you said like they're not going to afford him and that's completely true because the wild are in such salary cap hell moving forward the next three seasons it's it's remarkable you know and and billy garen took his shot and rightfully so absolutely rightfully so this was a team that he absolutely should have put, went all in on. Oh yeah. Moving yeah. out, <laughs> moving out Parisi, I think was justified. Moving out Suter, you could make a case for it. I think <laughs> I don't think it was the right move. Again, I think you could make a case for it. Um, so, what do you think? The how, how would how do you see the Wild moving and juggling around the salary cap because. They don't have a backup goalie right now, from what I'm aware of. They have the, they have Kakinen that they moved out that I thought was <laughs> going to be destined for the wild goaltender of the future. Selfishly, you know, I own he actually and Boldy in a dynasty league here of my own, and so I'm watching those. You know, Boldy especially, I'm like, okay, please don't hurt him, please don't hurt him, please don't you hurt him. You made a good <laughs> pick with him. Um, <laughs> So, and then they have Talbot and I, I think that's a situation that needs to be repaired here moving forward oh, because <laughs> he did nothing to deserve being benched for that long. So Flurry's on his way out, right? I'm guessing okay. with, with Flurry, it's, he said he wants to play another year. He really hasn't said where, and the wild, I don't see it being possible to have him in Talbot again. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame Flurry at all for the wanting to go somewhere else to try to get a cup after this disaster of a postseason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't blame him at all. He he was he did fine and I wouldn't blame him. He he let up so many rebounds. That's yeah. <laughs> and that's just the thing is, you know, we noticed that, you know, on the pod, we kept talking like, look, if he's going to give up the rebounds, you need to crash the net and be ready to go and be able to pick up the garbage here that he's throwing out there. So, um, so let's circle back here. The salary cap that Minnesota is currently facing, they're already going to be down that much money. And then I believe they're one of the teams actually that's being restricted by the bonuses that were given out. Um, here at this point, let me be able to pull this up here. 
Um, but I want to be able to kind of get your insight and what do you think Minnesota needs to be able to do here moving forward? So this, the whole salary cap stuff, I'm still, it literally has, my head just went like blown with all of this. Yeah. And, I, and some people are like, well, they can afford this. They can afford that. And I'm like, well, looking at the numbers, I don't know what they're going to, unless every single player they signed to like one year, like Delorier, Middleton, mm-hmm. um, some of the, I think one of them is like a two year, I think um, Jost was a two year maybe. Okay. But um, those guys, I don't want them to get rid of them. Selfishly, I think they were really good for the team, but they're those smaller contracts that if they got rid of them a bunch at a time, they could accumulate some space. Mm-hmm. But how many players are you willing to give up to get one? Right, right. And yeah. It's, I mean, I, with the Parisi thing, I totally agree with you. I think Parisi, it was time. He, he did his time here. Everyone expected him to basically be the Kaprizov, and he wasn't. Right. And no, no disrespect to him. He's not that type of player. He's a great player. He just Minnesota had high hopes, and it was put in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, I still remember them giving out those contracts. I had I was in Nashville at the time, and I woke up because I drove to Nash from St. Louis to Nashville overnight, and I woke up. And I saw it was like, what was it, 14 years, you know, whatever matching contracts for he and Suter. And I, my jaw just dropped, you know, I, I couldn't believe it here. Um, going back with the, the salary cap. So Minnesota actually has the least amount of money that they came able to spend this season at $69.7 million. For reference, the Boston Bruins, are one of only six teams that can spend up to the $82.5 million actual salary cap itself. Boston, Calgary, Seattle, Tampa, Vegas, and Winnipeg. How did Tampa sneak in there? Uh, I'm wondering that too. But they're the only teams that do not have any sort of penalties, dead cap, anything else. And so it's going to be really, really interesting, I think, to see how Billy Guerin justifies and, and makes his moves. Yeah, and the unfortunate part was he was stuck. I mean, yeah. when he took Parisi and Suter, he was stuck. There was not yeah. – he did literally, I think, the only thing he could do. Suter was a surprise, but in all honesty, I think it was the right move to make. He needed a fresh start. I've heard multiple mm. different things about his personality that obviously I can't say right or wrong how he is because I don't know him, but sure, they seem to get a lot closer team-wise mm-hmm. once those guys were out of the room. Yeah. And I think it was just, you know, they were in their routine. They're so used to just doing the same thing over and over where it needed to be broken up and redone. So yeah, Garen did what page. he had to do. Yeah, turn the page, go to the next core. You know, it's it's official. You know, you have to be able to turn that page here. So it hurts, but it's oh, absolutely, <laughs> it's, it's never fun being able to do that. But what's remarkable is that Minnesota was able to take that on and change it so quickly. You know, Garen did such a good job, I think, of setting this team up for success. He's just going to have a large. <laughs> he he's got a puzzle, but I don't know who has a worse puzzle between he. And Bill Armstrong in Arizona, that's going to be forced for a couple of seasons 
playing at a college arena that's going to have what like, seven thousand fans or something i mean how do you sell that if they afford the tickets even oh man oh, i've man. heard some different things about that and i'm just yeah. like i'll take my situation <laughs> yes yeah so um well i don't want to, be able to keep you here too terribly long you know just one final thought here um you know we briefly touched on the goaltending again they moved out kakinen You've got a, in my opinion, it's likely a fractured relationship here between Talbot and the and the franchise. I I would expect it to be so. Where where do they go from here? Honestly, I think Talbot stays and Flurry goes. Okay. I could be completely wrong, but I'm gonna guess that. Yeah. And I like them both. Obviously, who doesn't like Flower? I mean, yeah. everybody loves the guy. But right. Talbot has really he gained a lot of trust from people this season. He really stepped up his game and he kind of became a name amongst everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, before he came here, I had heard bits and pieces of his name on different teams. Right. But here was really the first, I think, landing spot that he kind of had all of that. And the, I think a little bit of it is good. More about a blown out of proportion with the relationship. I think, Obviously he was, he was quoted as saying he was pissed off, obviously that Mm -hmm. he didn't start, but he respected the decision and whether he's saying that because PR or -hmm. not, obviously they all keep in mind what they can and can't say. Right. But like he pointed out, they want him upset. They want him wanting to compete to that level. And I think he knew when they brought in flurry that he probably wasn't going to get the start, even if he played really well, because that's that why they got flurry that was his supposed to be his how would you say it bread and butter that's his thing the postseason and it's not that they didn't have faith in Talbot it was just that Flurry's such a shutdown goalie that I think they kind of wanted to see what he would do Mm -hmm. personally I think they should have it's gonna sound really weird because I don't know if any teams actually do this but I think they should have tried game one with Flurry, game two with Talbot, and maybe kept the rotation since that was working so well. Everyone hates the rotation, I think, but I it would throw teams off. They wouldn't know. And I get you have to stay with the hot goalie too, mm-hmm. obviously, but they should have thrown Talbot in sooner. He deserves to start. And Flurry's a professional. He would understand too that mm-hmm. maybe he needed a rest he's getting older he just maybe doesn't want to admit it that he would need a night off yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it goes back you know dean evanson needed to be able to make the changes and he didn't make them you know he kept running out there with that tough fourth line and trying to bait and switch you know these guys and and get them able to to take penalties and the blues ryan o'reilly Braden shen you know these guys were two big targets here for them that they kept trying to get them to draw penalties and react and they just weren't doing it they just kept skating off i saw um shen at one point just almost laughing he's like it's not happening it's not happening i'm not getting involved here in this o'reilly just kept a straight face and just kept skating off and at that point if i'm dean evanson i'm making line changes mid-game and I'm saying, okay, you guys are out. I'm not going with this. And then at this point, I'm going with anybody else. You know, I'm throwing Bukestad back in the lineup and, and just trying to get anything going here at this point. So, um, okay. Well, you know, 
thank you so very much. You know, again, we love all the insight, all the opinions. Thank you so much here for being the first guest thank here at you. this point. Um, <laughs> as a one final quick bonus question, completely unbiased. <laughs> Blues are playing Colorado. Who do you expect to win the series? And you're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't say the Blues. Don't worry. Who do you expect to take the series and in how many games? Oh, that's an unfair question. I'm going to <laughs> you know, I, if you've seen Chicks and Sticks, the show we used to have on the Hockey yes. Writers, yep. I predicted the Avalanche would not make the playoffs just to be a, throw it out a complete bold prediction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say they win this. I think the Blues push it to seven, but you watch, they're going to turn the tables and they're going to take the Avalanche down and I'm going to have no way of the. So we're going to go it. with that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm really hoping so. And again, anything can happen in these playoffs. You just need some guys to be able to get hot. You know, the blues have a number of different options that they can be able to turn to, but so does Colorado and it's anybody's series here at this point. So, you know, I, I love being able to see the Stanley cup playoffs at this point. So, okay. If they well, play like they did against the wild. I think they have a good shot. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I'm all for it. And then give me a second dose here of it. So, yeah. All right. Well, we loved having you here on. Thank you so much here again. Um, again, if you want to be able to find more of her work, check us out um, and check her out, especially underneath of the hockey writers for the Minnesota wild. Um, can they find you on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, my Twitter handle is on the page at the bottom. If it shows up. Uh, let me see where my name is at the bottom of the page. I think at Mariah E Stark. Yep. Excellent. 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 So, um, we should hopefully have you on here towards, uh, you know, summertime, we can be able to discuss off season moves, off season acquisitions in this point, and, uh, you know, kind of a, a preview of what's to come here for next season. So we look forward to speaking with you here until next time. Yeah. Thank you. I loved it. Awesome. All right, let's get into the second round. Uh, Thank you to Maria Stark for joining us there to talk about the Minnesota Wild moving forward as well as the series overall and what they might do next. Let's go on to the second round. The Blues back in the second round for the first time since 2019, of course, the big run. uh, Facing what I would say is probably the... uh, the best team in the league right now, the Colorado Avalanche uh, swept the Nashville Predators to get out of the first round. Uh, last season, they swept the Blues in the first round. Obviously, much different teams on both ends, especially St. Louis this season. Uh, during the regular season, the Blues won the first game against the Avalanche. And then uh, after that, it was, you know, not so great. Closer game still. But the Blues lost the next two. Uh, Overall, the Blues scored 11 goals, allowed 12 goals for the season in the NHL. The Blues are fourth in goals for the Avalanche, third in goals for uh, goals against Blues, 11th, Avalanche, seventh. Um, Kale McCarr is kind of the player that you highlight here. For my money, probably the best defenseman in the league. I mean, at this point, 28 goals. uh, Come on. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Ten points in four games in the Nashville series. And uh, this is going to be a major test, major test. And if the blues lose this series, I don't think anybody's going to feel that, you know, like regretful or upset about it. I mean, this avalanche team is clearly a better team on paper. I don't really think there's any doubt about that. Maybe not in terms of having all four lines, but they do have 
a lot of depth. So uh, overall, your assessment on the Avalanche and, and this this matchup? It's going to be a tough one. You know, like you said, I don't think that anybody would be overly shocked if they were to win this series. Um, I, I still think with the dominant performance that the Blues were able to have against the Wild and the depth that they had, especially on the defensive um, zone, they, I believe, stand a chance. You know, it, it may still end up coming down here to six, seven games here at this point. But, man, I think that this could actually be a pretty, pretty good test here for the Avalanche here as well. You know, again, one and two record. Yeah, sure. You know, I'll, I'll do that. But like you said, 11 goals for 12 goals against here for the Blues. It's extremely close. It's very close. We don't have Tory Krug here just yet. Marco Scandella here is not going to be able to come back um, here just as of yet. But the Blues are going to face a Colorado team that has four lines that they can throw out here against you. And they can create scoring chances. They can defend against you. And when all else fails here, they got a guy, Darcy Kemper, that in net that can easily still steal games here at this point. So um, I still think guys like Valeri Nishkinen and JT Comfer are two guys that are going to fly under the radar here for the Avalanche that could still play an unsung hero type of a role. Um, if you don't have guys available like a Nathan McKinnon, like a cadre, I mean, or anybody else that they could throw these guys out here onto the ice very comfortably and said, Hey, um, we need a goal. Go defend the goal, go defend the lead, close out the game. And I think the avalanche are completely confident that they can be able to get that done. You know, um, it's going to be an interesting goal matchup here as well. I mean, I don't know what you think. Um, Kemper versus Bennington is going to be interesting. Yeah. I think that that's, Probably based on the regular season numbers and the postseason numbers, then you consider is Kemper going to be a hundred percent with, you know, having the stick in his right. eye. I mean, you just, you just don't know. And um, yeah, I think that that the way they're playing, I think you could probably call that an even matchup, but Kemper had a much better regular season than Bennington, which is, that just is oh, yeah. what it is. I think most goaltenders that are left in the playoffs probably did, but it's just a different time. And he's mm-hmm. got a nine thirty four in three games played. So that's a big deal. Um, I think, like you said on the uh, document here, Nachuskin, Comfer, those are, those are under the radar unsung hero like players. And I would also throw a guy who's probably a top six guy on most teams. And I think he is on the second line for the abs. I feel like Andre Burakovsky makes a big play in almost every game. And yeah. I think he's a playoff type goal scorer. Like I think he's a Brandon sod type. Cause remember Brandon Saad had seven goals in 10 games for the Avs last year in the playoffs. And he had, what, one goal in the Minnesota series? I expect him to, you know, maybe want to do a few things to his old team. I know he was only there for a short amount of time, but I think Brandon Saad's going to have a big series for the Blues. Uh, the Blues' depth scoring has to show up. Barbashev, Thomas, mm-hmm. these guys got to score. That's mm-hmm. the only way – and I, you obviously don't want to get into a, uh, you know, a goal-scoring match. You don't want to try to outscore them because you're probably not going to do that. No, but I think I think no. the Blues can play a similar style that they did against Minnesota in the last three games. Like they like they they can do that against Colorado and have some success because the Blues weren't allowing odd man rushes in the last three games like they did early in the series. They were getting big saves when they needed it. You got to hope Bennington carries that over. Mm-hmm. And they were still attacking offensively and their power play was humming. Now the avalanche power play was the best in the league in round one of the playoffs. I mean, they had a game where they were four for four against Nashville 
And then I believe they had one killed off, so four for five in that game. So that's a bit of an issue, no doubt. But um, special teams are going to be a big deal. Depth scoring is going to be a big deal. And goal is going to be a big deal. I'm not worried about the Blues defending from the blue line. I'm just not worried about that because there's a lot of bigger things to worry about. Penalty killing is going to be very important. Yeah. And uh, we're going to see if Ryan O'Reilly can maybe exercise some demons from last year against them. He did not have a good series. And he's got Perron back for this series. Perron was not there in round one last year. And remember, O'Reilly started out with this team. It ended a little bit weirdly when he went to Buffalo. And he's going to be facing up against a good buddy of his, Nathan McKinnon. I'm sure that they'll be matched up. And uh, the Blues got to figure out how to defend that. But And then, uh, you know, maybe touch on the old Justin Falk thing from last season. I mean, he gets knocked out of the series from a dirty hit by Nazem Kadri. There's no other way to put it. Kadri got a hefty suspension. He gets suspended every year. Does he get suspended in this series? Maybe it's time. Um, but, I mean, you got to think Falk wants to play well in the series. There's a lot of reasons for the Blues to be motivated, like a lot of reasons. Bennington, yeah. personally, like what people have been saying about him, O'Reilly, you know, just being the leader and a former Avalanche who had a weird tenure there that ended weirdly, like I said. Uh, Perron for not getting to play in round one last year. Justin Falk for what happened with the hit last year. There's a lot of reasons and what people are saying about them when they won the cup in 19. Now the blues, unlike the Washington capitals have been able to get out of the first round since, uh, since winning the cup. So they got that going for them, but uh, yeah, this'll be, this'll be a heavyweight battle. I think this thing goes at least six, but I am a little bit worried that the blues get steamrolled. Cause you just, you, there's always that possibility. Like if Colorado is going at hundred percent and they're getting all the breaks and the puck is bouncing their way, it's like impossible to beat them. So that's one worry I have. Yeah. And the athletic right now even has the avalanche favored at 85%. They're, so they're the juggernaut you know, of the league. Like they're the best team in the league. I don't care that they didn't win yeah. the president's trophy. I think it's better for them that they didn't win the president's trophy. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised again, one bit. I'm going to be upset. And it, this is any single time that, that we're in the playoffs if you do not show up, you do not make a fight here out of this, then that's where I start getting a little frustrated, a little ticked off. But if the Blues come out and they put up and they show that they're fighting every single game and they just lose to a flat-out better team, hats off here at that point, then, you know, and and it just it is what it is. And the Avalanche are a team, and they have been a team the last couple of years that have been destined for a Stanley Cup. Now, you could say the same thing about the Toronto Maple Leafs, which I will say uh, I did pick the Tampa Bay Lightning to win that round. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And everybody thought Toronto was going to be able to make it out of that round. Everybody thought that Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, these guys were all going to put the team here on their back and they're going to steamroll the Tampa Bay Lightning. So – I'm not saying that the Blues are the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm not saying Colorado Avalanche are the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm just saying that there is a chance that the Blues have the depth and the wherewithal to take them to six, seven games. We'll make a series here out of this because they've been there. They've done that. They've got the coaching and they've got the depth. They, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think um, – the whole thing with Toronto is like 
what do they have to do? Because they played pretty well last night. They played pretty well in the series, like having a 3-2 lead in that series. And you kind of felt like they were probably going to choke, but I, I guess choke's not the right word. You just felt like they weren't going to be able to finish them off. Like, they dominated the third period, just couldn't score on Vasilevsky. Like, you don't want to play Vasilevsky in a game seven. So that's that for them. Um, but in terms of the Blues and the Avs, it's going to be a heavyweight fight. I mean, it's going to be – I mean, I think it's absolutely necessary for the Blues, if they want to win this series, mm-hmm. to win one of the first two games. It'd be really, really nice to come out win game one. You probably know you're going to lose game two if you win game one in this series, but you want to win one at Colorado at least. I think they can do that. Um, and we'll see. We'll see. Because if if Kemper's not 100%, and I don't think there's any way he is 100% after what happened to him, uh, they could score a lot of goals on Francois if he has to play. So that's going to be an issue for Colorado. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But Kemper, when healthy, is a, a very good goaltender, especially buying this team. Uh, so that's a big deal. Uh, before we get into a couple of things to wrap up the episode, uh, what's your pick for this game, for this series? I'm going to still go with it. I'm going to say Blues and six. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the type of series where I wouldn't be surprised if this was a four-game sweep for Colorado. I wouldn't be surprised if this went seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it went five or six. I wouldn't be surprised with any of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think the Blues have the horses to get this done. I hate to do it, and I feel like I'd, I feel like people are going to look at this as me disrespecting our team. But I'm going to say Colorado in five. I just think they have too much. Oh man! I think it's I, five. Now let's think of this. Let's let's throw this angle out there for the people. What if I have a master plan? that a blues player or the entire team could listen to this episode and get a little motivation from what I just said. Motivate them. Now, I hope it does. If, you're, if you're the blues and you go down two games, you're down. Oh, and two in the series. Do you turn to Billy Huso? I think, I think yes, but I also think it depends on how those games went. Like if Bennington's letting in some that he shouldn't, then that's an issue. He did lose his cool a little bit in last year's series, but how couldn't you? I mean, the Blues team last year, this Blues team, the Blues roster of last season wouldn't make the playoffs this season. Like, there's no, no. way. No. Uh, so, like, I think the biggest difference, obviously, is Falk getting even better. Pareko yeah. being a little bit better. I don't mm-hmm. know how much better, but he's been better. Krug overall was much better. Uh, Buchnevich and Saad, those two additions. Barbashev breaking out, Tarasenko being healthy, Thomas and Cairo breaking out. There's a lot of reasons why they're so much better this season, but I don't think there's any reason that's bigger than the two forward additions with Saad and Buchnevich, especially like Buchnevich on the penalty kill is ridiculously good. And that is a huge reason why they have been, I mean, they had the fifth best penalty. If you would have told me going into the season that the Blues had a top 12 penalty killing unit, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. They were fifth this season. So uh, special teams are going to be a big deal. I hope people don't view this as me disrespecting the team saying Colorado in five, but I'll just believe it when I see it. Like, I'm not saying the blues, blues are bad. I just, six. I hope blues in six, I'll take blues, blues in, in six, blues in four. Can we get that <laughs> blues in four? Just stun the, like, like a Columbus Tampa thing from 19. Oh man, please. Yeah. I think the blues are too good to be compared to Columbus though from that season. Like there was a much bigger gap between Columbus and Tampa, but whatever. You never know. Uh, let's, do, let's do, I agree. I hope I'm wrong. Obviously uh, let's get a quick look at a uh, little, what's going on in the Springfield Thunderbirds, the AHL right now, huh? How do you not talk about them? You got 
goaltender Joel Hofer scoring a goalie goal. That's oh man! I when was the last time a goalie goal even happened? Didn't in, the, in a professional setting? Didn't Pecorine score one a few years ago against Chicago? That's the only I have a weird memory of that happening. I think that happened. I'm not one hundred percent sure though. I think I think it was him. I know it was a natural goaltender. I'm pretty sure it was Pecorine, but uh, it's very rare. And Joel Hofer, it feels like a very long time ago that he was on the team and playing mm-hmm. games. So. You know, it's nice to see him do this in the AHL. And I think he's the guy that is he the backup next season to Bennington? I think there's a chance. I mean, I personally would like more of a veteran. I don't think he's ready just yet. Yeah. I don't think he threw him up here just yet. I would almost be expecting Charlie Sideburns or Charlie Lindgren. Yeah, I was gonna say him. But <laughs> they're I mean, they're outscoring Wilkesbury 10 to 3 here in their first two games. You know, they're up. 10 or they're up uh, two games and none here in the playoffs here just this season. So um, I'd, I'd be very, very interested to see what the Springfield Thunderbirds are able to be able to, to do in this playoff. Yeah. The other thing is when was the last time a goaltender scored a goal professional setting in the playoffs? That's the big thing here. I yes. Think, yeah. Is the fact, and, and Charlie Lindgren has had an amazing season f- for like at every single level like you look Mm -hmm. at uh when he was with the blues the big run saving them in a lot of cases 5-0 and 0 with a 958 uh with the thunderbirds 24-7-1 with a 925 and then he played one playoff game and saved uh let's see he saved 49 of 50 shots in that game so he's had an amazing season i think he deserves another shot hopefully the blues give him that shot as the backup next season and there's always other things to do and other plans, contingency plans, if it doesn't work out with Lindgren as the backup next season. But yeah. uh, he definitely deserves a chance. But shout out to Joel Hofer. Absolutely. And even, you know, there's a couple of guys that I've got my eye on to see exactly what they're doing here at this, this playoff. Um, Mackenzie McEachern, Dakota Joshua. Dakota Joshua has one goal. Mackenzie McEachern's got a goal and an assist here in two different games. The big guy that I'm watching – Clem Costin. Yeah. One goal, one assist here in two games so far. Um, he is a guy that is very, very, very intriguing here to me because 17 games with the Thunderbirds here this season, three goals, three assists. To me, that does not spark first-round talent. And it's a guy who – you know, we haven't been doing this podcast here for very long. It's it's a guy that I personally feel has needed to be traded away from the Blues organization for the last couple of seasons. He just did not scream NHL talent. And I hope that I'm wrong. I'm hoping that he can one day turn into the next Barbashev and we're getting a 20-goal scorer here several years in, into his NHL tenure. And But I, I, I would be packaging him along with somebody else and, and multiple pieces if it means getting somebody a bona fide number one left side defenseman. And I don't know what his trade value is here right now, but Clint Gosson's a guy that I'm looking at very, very hard right now to decide what is his future with the St. Louis Blues. I think throwing Gosson into a package for like a Provorov would be a pretty nice move. Um, cause that's a guy in Philadelphia where they've been bad the last few years and he's a 
young, very good left-handed defenseman. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day, maybe in a couple weeks or hopefully a couple months if you want the playoff run to continue, maybe like a month, I guess, a little over a month, I suppose. But anyway, I would think that Costin would should be where Torpchenko is at this point. Like, Costin has not developed anywhere near where he should have. Right. And uh, it's, yep. it's, it's not the organization's fault per se. They have had a lot of depth, and it's hard to fit guys in. But uh, Torpchenko, shout out to him, because that play that he made in the Bozak goal. Oh, sexy. Great sexy. Play. Yep. I mean, so he's – I think if Costin has a good camp in the summer and they hold on to him, I think there's a chance you have a fourth line with Costin and Torpchenko's the wings, which we'll talk about having size and speed. That's that. It's just putting everything else together, especially for Costin. Now, I don't know who their center would be on that line. Maybe they keep Bozak for one more year if he doesn't retire or they find another fourth line center or whatever happens with that. But uh, that's a guy to look for. In the playoffs, like you said, Clem Costin with the Thunderbirds. But uh, anyway, I guess that's uh, that's about that for episode number four, unless you have anything else to add. Um, no, nothing here yet. I mean, you know, I could keep going on a on a Clem Costin tangent, but I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to save that for the, uh, for the offseason for everybody. But um, all right, that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening to episode four of the Blue Note podcast. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at TBN Pod. Make sure to share it, get involved, join the conversation, comment on stuff. I, I think I will continue to do the uh, period recaps during the Avalanche series. Could be a little bit more intense since it's going to be a much tighter, much heavier series, I think, than higher stakes. Yeah, I thought Minnesota would be that way, but it really wasn't after the first few games. So uh, that'll do it for us, though. Give us a rating, leave a comment. Uh, Mike Meyer, the co host, you can follow him at Danger Powers 19. You can follow my Twitter at Ethan Carter SW. That'll do it for us, the Believe Network. The Blue Note Podcast will be back with episode five, I'm sure, in the middle of this series with the Avalanche, and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.